Um, we are looking at the book of Joshua this, uh, the, for the most of this autumn term, which I have to say I'm very excited about. I'm very excited about looking at the, the story of Joshua. They cross a river, uh, which is very good, and uh, it's a great story, actually. I don't know if any of you have been reading the story of Joshua recently, but it is a great story with so much to learn. I just want to say a few things about Joshua in general, the book of Joshua, that is, as we start off the series, just to help us think about what kind of book it is before we turn to the text. Uh, first of all, it is a historical story. Different bits of the Bible uh, have more or less uh, sort of external historical evidence for them. Um, just to say, Joshua and the story of the Israelites' conquest of Canaan is one of those bits where there is just loads of external supporting evidence, in case you wanted to know. There's loads of archaeology that shows that around this time in history, loads of walled cities in the land of Canaan were destroyed and taken over by people who had a different culture, people who were semi-nomadic. That is, the people of Israel. There is widespread agreement amongst those who've looked at it that this stuff happened. It, yeah, it's true. Okay, I thought you might, be, might like to know sometimes that the Bible, you know, it's always true, but sometimes there are other supports to show that it's true. So there we go. Secondly then, it's got an interesting style. The style of the book, I'd like to... Uh, described to you as edited highlights, a bit like you get on Match of the Day. You don't get to see the whole story played out, you just get to see the best bits. Um, But actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. The style of the book of Joshua is a little bit like somebody wanted to make sure that we got all of the best bits of the story, and so took the best bits of Match of the Day and edited them further together with the best bits of ITV and Sky Sports coverage as well. And so... Page after page after page is just on the button. It's energetic, it's significant for us, but it doesn't always flow quite so smoothly as all of that. And when you read through, you might read something in one chapter and think, I'm not quite sure how that flows into what's in the next chapter. That's fine. That's because it has been edited for us to give us the highlights that are of most significance to us. That's why it's like that. Um, The story does also raise some quite difficult questions. As we go through, um, we'll realise that the story talks about a holy war. We might rightly call some of what goes on ethnic cleansing, and we might have questions about the extent to which this text has justified uh, military activity in the Middle East in the last century. So there are some, some challenging questions in here as well. And as we go through this term, not necessarily on Sunday mornings, but we hope to put on uh, other opportunities to grapple with some of those questions such that our confidence in the word of God will be deepened as we grapple with some of the harder things that it might raise as questions in our minds as well. Having said all of that, there is a clear theme to the book and the theme of the book is to do with the victory of faith. God's people got hold of trust in God and they succeeded in conquering the promised land. So the theme of the book is the victory of faith. Now, it seems that nowadays any successful story gets a prequel. So we used to just have Star Wars, but then we got Star Wars episode one, two, and three. Superman has Smallville. 
Batman has Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and Joshua's not left out. We have a Joshua prequel, really. Joshua Begins, uh, not just in one previous book of the Bible, but spread through the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There is the backstory for what happened in Joshua's life before we get to the book of Joshua. I want to tell you a little bit about it. Joshua was born in slavery in Egypt. He came out of slavery through the plagues that God brought to break the hardness of Pharaoh's heart so that the people would be set free. Joshua came out of that slavery in Egypt and actually led the Israelite army in its first battle. He became Moses' aide and went with Moses up Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Came back down Sinai with Moses and was stood there when Moses smashed the first set on the floor in his astonishment and shock at the golden calf having been built. But God's promise to his people was not only freedom from slavery in Egypt, but it was actually to find rest and well-being in the promised land, the land of Canaan, a land that had been promised to Abraham and had been promised to Jacob. And so the people of Israel, Joshua in their midst, approached through the desert the land of Canaan and Moses sent 12 spies into the land to see what it was like, to get a military report. Joshua was one of those 12 spies. When they came back, All 12 agreed that it was a great land, flowing with milk and honey, abundant food, just a wonderful place to live, a great place that you could be at rest and enjoy the well-being of God's blessing. But 10 of the spies looked at the people who were there and said, they are big. And, uh, you know, we looked like grasshoppers in there. Someone said something this morning about us being grasshoppers in God's sight was with the reading, I think. And, uh, but between these people, they said, these big people looked at us and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and they saw us that way as well. And they came back, the 10 of the 12, and said, no way, we, we can't do it, they're too big. And you know what, their cities have got big walls. It's a problem. And uh, you know, we really shouldn't try. And there were just two of the spies who said, no, we can do it. Of course we can do it. We've got God with us. And Joshua was one of those two optimistic spies. An optimism based on his knowledge of what the Lord God is like. But the people of Israel listened to the ten and not the two. And they said, no way, we're not going to try to get into the land. Uh, it then became clear to them that they'd made a mistake. They, they later on had a go. It didn't work because actually they hadn't trusted God. And God said to them, right, that's it. This whole generation of fighting men, men aged 20 to 60, this whole generation of fighting men who refused to go up and to take the land that I was giving to them, I'm going to wait for them all to die before we come back round again and have another go until it will be time to enter into the promised land. And that's what happened. So Joshua lived 40 years. It says 38 years, but 40 years... Obviously, there are different markers in time that people were using in this journey that they lived on. But a generation went by 
about 40 years, in which Joshua lived in the desert with the people whom he'd encouraged could go in faith into the land, but who refused. And he watched whilst a generation of them died and were buried in the desert. As Moses, the leader of God's people at this time, as Moses got towards the end of his life, God spoke to him and said to him to start leading the people back towards the border of the promised land. Moses too had erred, made a mistake out of his frustration. And so he too had been told by God that he wouldn't enter the promised land. But as he got towards the end of his life, God said, go back towards it, take the people back towards it. And uh, they did that. They went up, ran the east side of the River Jordan, and uh, some of the people that lived there came out to them aggressively and attacked them. And as Israel responded, they succeeded with God's help in conquering those tribes under Moses' leadership. When Moses' time was very nearly over, he asked God who it was who should succeed him. Which points out that Joshua was not the clear-cut kind of slam-dunk guy. It wasn't obvious to everyone that he was going to be the next leader. Because Moses had to pray and ask God, who should it be? Maybe it could have been Caleb, the other faith-filled, optimistic spy. Maybe it should have been Moses' sons. Maybe it should have been some other priest or something. Moses inquired of God and he said, it's Joshua. Joshua's your man to succeed you as leader. And then Moses died, leaving Joshua in charge of the people east of the Jordan, having conquered some people, um, but a people of fairly mixed faith, it would be fair to say. Their parents had died in the desert, and they were certainly nervous of repeating the same errors. But we're about to enter into this. This is the point at which the book of Joshua picks up the story, the the point of Moses' death and Joshua's succession to the leadership role. So should we read the story? Start reading it. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great 